But also, it's fair to say, I thought, I've got to re- if I'm getting baptised, it's a commitment. It's a new birth. I knew that if I did that, it would be really it. I'd got totally gone from that life of darkness into a light of light, and now things would change. Now would be the time, as Peter said, 1 Peter 3.15, in my heart, to set apart, set apart Christ as Lord, who died for me, which is what those songs we've sung and coming up to Easter and realising uh, what he's done for me and for you. And that if I was going to live my life as a Christian, I have to give it all back to him and live life in all its fullness and effectively had to say, well, I'll, I'll, I'm now living for you and not myself. And the title of this sermon is Consecrate Yourselves. And if you're like me, you wasn't too sure what consecrate means. We're going to look through that. But it's about giving myself totally to Jesus, totally uh, to God. It means I have to say to him in my heart, I've listened to your message and I choose to follow you. And now I'm going to set you apart. You're, you are going to be Christ, the anointed one, and you will be my Lord and I will be your son. And that is just an amazing privilege which has never left, left me. And effectively, it's saying I want to consecrate myself wholly for him, seeking his will in my life, in the world, in any church I lead, not my own. It has to be him. It has to be his call. It has to be his will. It has to be his leading all the time. And of course, there are challenges along the way. But if I can choose to say, and if you can choose to say this morning, that I will put God first, I will set apart Christ as Lord. Not just set him apart of who he is, though that's important, he is the Christ, but he's going to be Christ, my Lord. I'm going to do something with that information. Consecration. And it means when I do that, I have real freedom. People say that, um, you know, you give your life uh, to God, Christianity, uh, all the fun stops. Well, of course, there are challenges, but it is real life. It is real life in all its fullness. It's real life in all its freedom. And I can really believe the promises of God. And it means that I can say when it's uh, tempted to be distracted and uh, things turned on their side or follow the way of the world, I can say, actually, I don't need to do that. I follow Christ. I've set him apart as Lord and I live for him now. I want to consecrate myself wholly to him, seeking his will in, in my life. And that's what every Christian needs to be able to do. Consecration, what does it mean? Well, I looked it up in the encyclopedia. It defines consecration as the devoting or setting apart of... Uh, I looked this up in a Bible encyclopedia, I should tell you. Um, it'd be good if they had this in a normal one. Uh, the devoting or setting apart of anything to the worship or service of God. It's basically saying everything we do is for his glory, his worship, it's for God. Consecration is just a theological term that gives meaning that gives meaning um, and means giving yourself wholly and completely to God. M.H. Martin describes consecration as handing God a blank sheet of paper to fill in with your name signed at the bottom. Imagine if we did that every day. Yeah, every day is plan A. It, you know, we, we, we mess up and we get things wrong, get a huge amount right as well. And we're not to be condemned. The Bible says there's no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. So that, yet many of us walk around in that kind of sense of condemnation. But every day is a new day. And effectively, when these people come forward for baptism on Easter Sunday, and then we've got another one in May, that's good, isn't it? Picking up on enthusiasm, it's really, really good news. Thank you, Bernard. 
It's great because it represents the new life. It represents someone saying, yep, okay, I've come out of that kingdom of darkness and I'm going into the kingdom of light. And the baptism is a birth and it's the beginning. It's not that I've got all the questions answered. It's not that I've got life all worked out. It's basically taking God at his word who says, repent, change your mind, turn to me. Believe in the work of the cross and be baptised. So it's, it's turning to God and believing what Jesus done on the cross. They are the two requirements for baptism. It's a new birth and then we move forward. And that's what those people will be talking about on Easter Sunday, which is a great day for baptisms. It's all about new birth. There's lots of examples in the Old Testament, in fact around 40 of them, talking about consecration. We know the descendants of Abraham and the tribe of Levi were consecrated, it says in Acts 13. The Hebrews devoted, devoted their fields and cattle, sometimes the spoils of war, to the Lord in Leviticus 27. According to the Mosaic law, the firstborn, both of man and beast, were consecrated to God. Leviticus, sorry about, I'm stumbling on my word, I don't feel good, but this is good because God is with us. Uh, Leviticus 11.44, and the Lord your God, consecrate yourselves and be holy because I am holy. Do not make yourselves unclean by any creature that moves about on the ground. I am the Lord... I am the Lord who brought you up out of Egypt to be your God. Therefore be holy because I am holy. Also in the Old Testament, it wasn't until after the tabernacle and all of its trappings were consecrated to God and Aaron and his sons were consecrated into the priesthood that God came and dwelt among them. You see, as we consecrate ourselves towards God, as we really give him our lives and just see what he does with them, there the Lord can really have his way among us. And it's the same with us, isn't it? If you're like me, do you find that the more you give your life over to God, the more he dwells in you? And then sometimes when I turn astray and I think I can handle things in my own strength, I end up saying, well, where's God in this? But as I turn to him and as I ask him more and more every day into my heart, I was trying to say, Lord, I want to live for you. Help me with this. He promises by the presence and power of his spirit to be able to do that. He dwells in us. In the New Testament, our ultimate expression of consecration is Jesus himself. That's where we find our identity and purpose. He totally gives his life over us for the purpose of the Father. Didn't he pray in the Garden of Gethsemane, not my will but yours. He is consecrated to the Father. He says, it's not about me, even though he's God himself. He said, it's all about the plans and purposes of God. We have to do this to make sure things can be put right. What does it mean for us this morning? In the New Testament, Christians are regarded as consecrated to the Lord. 1 Peter 2 verse 9, which is a great Baptist verse. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. I mean, isn't that a a, a real privilege? You You have been chosen. You know, whatever circumstance brings you here this morning um, is not an accident. You've been chosen. You're a royal priesthood. It's not just one priest in the church. You're all priests if you're a Christian. I can ask you to pray for me as much as you can ask me to pray for you. You're a holy nation, a people belonging to God. You don't belong to the enemy anymore. And what's the purpose? It's not just taking that truth and saying, well, I like that truth, that's it for me, and I'll crack on. That you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. How do we do that? Well, the passage I've picked, if we can change it, please, Robert, uh, is Romans 12, uh, verses 1 to 2. Look at the picture. I like the picture I chose. Uh, I don't know if you can read that. It says, I am only one, but I am one. 
I cannot do everything, but I can do something. And I will not let what I cannot do interfere with what I can do. Uh, it may be Christian, I don't think it is. Um, but I liked it because the guy's got his uh, arms open, his palms are pointing towards heaven, and I kind of feel that's my walk with Jesus. Um, I'm not actually only one, I'm part of a great family and I've got as my father. But actually, the reason I picked the picture is I thought, it's down to me. It stops with me and it stops with you individually, whether you make those choices or not. We cannot keep going through life blaming everybody else for all the things that might go wrong. We have to put our faith in God and it's my decision to do that. It's my decision to consecrate myself and it's got to be your decision as well, because you've been a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, people belonging to God. So when I look at this um, picture, and when I look at this verse, Romans 12, 1 to 2, therefore I urge you, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. It's a commitment, isn't it? It's making the decision, but then being committed to living it out. When I made a decision to marry Andrea, um, I mean, I did ask her as well, uh, but I did make this decision to marry. For me, that was a commitment, it was a commitment. Now, I know things can go wrong and everything else, but the commitment was there, and the intention uh, is for life, for me. And so I made a... What if I'd got married and said, well, yeah, I'm going to marry Andrew. We'll see how it goes. And, um, you know, I'll, I'll, if, if things go wrong, maybe I'll just, you know, fall off the wagon a bit and crack on and everything else. We'd be pleased, and I haven't done that. Um, and, uh, and here we are. But, obviously, um, it's a journey, but the decision was made at the beginning. There is a decision. And with that decision comes commitment. So I'm using the marriage analogy, but it's the same for the church. We don't want to be people of decisions who say, yeah, I think, I think um, I'm going to be a Christian. And so I'll say my prayer, and that'll be that. And in many ways, you know, the, the outrageous grace of the gospel is, is that that's right. You can make that decision. You can ask Jesus to forgive you. You can get baptised, but... The intention is that's a new birth and we carry on walking. We don't want really decisions for Jesus with no commitment. And therefore, in the New Testament, we don't see any verses of converts. We see verses about disciples. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptising them, teaching them, everything else. It's people who are following God. We don't just want a decision to say, yeah, I think I'll give that a go. We want a commitment. And God will give you the tools to do that. The biggest one is the, is the person and presence of the Holy Spirit. He's going, to want, he's going to put it in you to want to change. If you're battling with sin, if you're battling sometimes with the word of God, um, I'm not going to say that's good, but I would say it's evidence of God's work in you. Don't see that as a negative sometimes, because if, if you weren't, if you were, didn't have the Holy Spirit, you wouldn't be bothered. You'd be going, whatever. The fact that there's tension is one of the proofs of being a Christian. If I really wasn't bothered about what the Bible said, if I really wasn't bothered that sometimes I'm not living up to it, then I'm wondering whether I've got the Spirit's conviction in my heart when I've got that angst because I know I'm not doing some stuff. And really, not to make me feel bad, but really to draw me more closer to him, 
That's a good thing. Paul recognises this, doesn't he, in Romans 7, when he talks about why do I keep doing the things that I know I shouldn't do? And why don't I do the things that I know I should do? And immediately following is the verse in Romans 8, there is no condemnation. I mean, if that battle's going on within you, which I get the sense that it probably is for all of you, it goes on within me, that's for sure, it's almost a good thing, because if the battle wasn't there, then there is no consciousness of the Holy Spirit. So I'd want to encourage you, if you're battling with your sin, sometimes your belief, sometimes the promises, because actually if you didn't care, it would mean the Holy Spirit is not evident working in your life. If you're battling it and it causes you angst, I'm not saying I want that for you, but I'm saying it's evidence of the Holy Spirit in your life and that you are saved and you are a Christian. Nevertheless, we want to we get this away from just decisions and get into commitment. When I was younger... Um, I loved a bit of adventure. I still like it. I still like going on my motorbikes and getting up to 70 miles an hour, no more. Um, I was on the drive, though. That was the problem. <laughs> um, but I loved adventure. I, loved, uh, I used to go on trips, rock climbing, abseiling. And we went for one trip to North Devon when I was about 14 or 15. Uh, we left at, I don't know why they did this. We left at midnight from the school. Uh, so that we had a full day the next day. A full day involved a lot of sleeping. And we had a seven-hour drive, and um, I remember uh, there was this big thing that we all had to pay five pounds extra so that we had wetsuits, and I was quite glad about it. I thought, the sea's pretty cold in North Devon. Um, we'll, we'll get some wetsuits. And uh, anyway, halfway um, along, none of us noticed, we stopped at a service station, we looked at the back, and on the trailer at the back, all the wetsuits had gone. They'd either been stolen or the wind had blown them off or whatever it was. And so now we're travelling about four in the morning. We're two, uh, two or three hours away from North Devon where we're supposed to go straight into the sea and do this surf canoeing. And, uh, but we had no wetsuits. And it's amazing at 14 and 15, you think, well, that's all right. I've got a pair of shorts, I'll be fine. And so that's what we did. We got there, no wetsuits, and we got in the, the canoes. Not kidding, we were freezing, but it was good. But when you look out, North, this Saunton Sands it was, and I don't know if you know it, the tide goes right out, and so we've got these canoes. And we're only little, so I had this big canoe, and I'm trying to... You know, some of you are saying I'm still little, but I'm trying to get to the water's edge, and I've got there, and there's these, you can see out the sea, and the huge waves are coming. And I remember my uh, teacher, Mr. Fowles, he said, don't worry, smudger, they called me. Don't worry, smudger. They called me lots of other things, but that's what the teacher called me. And don't worry, smudger. Um, if, you, if you point the canoe head on to the wave, it cannot tip you over. Don't go sideways, even a little bit, because it'll be a nightmare. And he said, but if you, if you point the canoe... Head on to that wave, doesn't matter how big it is, it will not, it will not uh, make you go over. Go out beyond the break, find the swell, turn round, and again, make sure you're straight, and then just surf canoe that all the way back. When you get in the shadows, you can try a turn if you want, but you'll probably fall in. And it was brilliant, and there was this moment of truth where you think, well, that wave looks pretty big, um, it needs total commitment. So I'm looking at the wave, I'm really little, and you feel even littler when you're, when you're sitting in the canoe. Because like the water's here now, and these waves, they're not, they weren't that big, but they're pretty big. They seem that big. And of and course, it's kind of, and you said, right, I've got to remember what Mr. Fowles said. So I'm paddling like this, and sure enough, the canoe goes up, and you went over. And you went out, you had fun. And as long as you stayed with what he'd said, the bloke who knew what he was on about, you were fine. And actually, it was really, really exciting, if a little bit dangerous. The ride back was brilliant. It was an adventure. Of course, because I feel that I know better sometimes, I thought, I'm going to give it a go and just see if I can hold on if I do go a little bit sideways. 
I can tell you that if you ever go surf canoeing in North Devon, wetsuit or no wetsuit, you will be crushed if you go even the tiniest bit sideways because the power of the wave is too strong. You're like that, it's going to get it, it tips you over. So I learned that lesson. Christianity is an adventure. It, with Christ, it's not boring. Um, it's, it's actually quite exciting. It can be a challenge, but it's an adventure with Christ. He draws you to himself. He offers forgiveness, love, and reconciliation. Who wouldn't want that? He promises to be in you by the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, and he says to trust him. Life will be an adventure. You might have to face those waves head on. But if you keep going in his strength, it might be scary. But he says he'll be with you and he rescues you. And that is good news. But there's, the sad fact is churches all around the world can be filled with people who have never got in the water. They see the waves and they stand and they watch and they say, I'm not ready really to commit yet because it looks too dangerous. They hear what Jesus has to say, the challenges he offers, the life he offers, the world that needs Christians to do what he did, and they say, that all sounds good, but I'm going to stand and I'm going to watch and I'm not going to make that decision. I will not face it head on. And this morning as we come to communion, we have to be positive in our thinking. We have to say individually, I will set apart Christ as Lord. And the challenge is, would we really say that? Because if you say that, if you think about it, I'm going to set apart Christ as Lord. Not just for the hour and a half on a Sunday or in the DG groups or whatever else you're doing when your favourite song's on your CD. That's how old I am. Or your MP3 player or iPad or phone or whatever it is. You know, it's all the time. I've got to set him apart. Christ as Lord. That's what I'm doing at the the communion table. Um, I'm setting apart as Lord. I'm remembering what he's done for me. And I'm going to give it all back to him. So I'm going to whisk through this passage. Uh, point one, it's a choice. The first thing that confronts us as, we, as you read this passage, right, is therefore. Okay? Therefore. And you know the, what's going to happen next. Do we know this? What I always say? Ruth does, because I can see her whispering. To, yeah, what's it there for? If there's a... Hold on, Bernard. If, if, whenever the word in the Bible or passage starts with therefore... Ask the question, what's it there for? Why is, it so, why is Paul in this saying, therefore? And it's because this passage comes after what many consider to be a, a fantastic theological work. Luther loved uh, uh, Romans, where Paul explains some major doctrines. He first talks about the sinfulness of humankind, the forgiveness, though, that God offers. That's so a positive God who is for you, not against you. The forgiveness of sin through what we're remembering today that Jesus did on the cross, where he says, I forgive you, I pay for it all, and I'm going to set you free now to serve. You can face those waves head on because I will be with you always. And Paul moves from the theological to the practical with the word, therefore. He's effectively saying, because of all of that, what I've told you, therefore, now, have a look at this. He's, 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 he's put it all uh, before, now it's therefore. He's gone from the practical to, sorry, from the theological to the practical. And he's saying, because of all that, the words in the Bible, in view of God's mercy, he urges, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. It's sacrificial to set apart Christ as Lord. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God. The Old Testament Jewish believers, they offered all their animal sacrifices. But Christian believers, rather than offering something outside of themselves... We're told to offer ourselves back to God. I can't say, well, I've, I've done loads of, I, I've become a Christian, but I kind of fancy cracking on how I was, uh, so I'm going to offer Bernard. 
to be the Christian part for me instead. And we all know he'd be useless at that, um, as I would be. I've got to offer myself. I can't offer anybody else. The only one who's died for me is Christ, nobody else, and I have to offer myself back to him. Uh, and, and everything, holy, acceptable sacrifice. But notice that Paul says there, urges to offer. He's not demanding it. It's a choice. This is the choice. Are you going to face the waves head on, or are you going to look there and stand on the beach and say, well, I'll take the best bit, I'll put the wetsuit on, I'll stay with them, but I'm not going to get in that water. It's the analogy. He urges to offer. It's a choice. It's not God with an iron bar saying, Ian, you have become a Christian, and I'm going to whack you around the head every time you get it wrong, and you'd better do this which is a spirit of slavery, but it's a God who loves us, a spirit of sonship. It's the reasonable thing to do when we realise what's been done for us. We can come to God in full confidence, forgiveness, and to be set free. I read something on Facebook the other day, uh, which I nicked, which I'm going to nick now, and I thought, what a wonderful illustration. And it said, religion is, um, I've done something wrong, I'm ashamed, I'd better hide from my father. And Christian faith is, I've done something wrong, I love my God, I need to go and find my father. You see the difference? And it happened right at the beginning, didn't it, in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. As soon as they did wrong, they were ashamed, they covered up, they tried to get away from God. And what did God do? He came looking for them. Where are you? And what's that song we sing? Uh, Guardian. And when, when I wander, your love will find me. He never lets us go. And so we have to respond back to him. There's a great old hymn, isn't there? When I survey the wondrous cross, on which the prince of glory died. We're going, to, we're going to survey the cross. We're going to survey what God has done, on which the prince of glory died. My richest gain, so everything that went before now is lost. And I pour contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. I want to consecrate myself to God because of what he's done for me. What should I present to God for his love for me? My soul, my life, my all. It's the reasonable thing to do. We sung it earlier. The one that we're giving our lives back to is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He is the name above all names. You have no rival. You have no equal. Yours is the kingdom. Yours is the glory. Yours is the name above all names. What a beautiful, powerful name it is. Jesus Christ, my King. That is incredible. And so I want to give my life back to him. It's not because I've got to or I'm being forced to. I choose to. Paul says, therefore, I urge you. Okay, he's not saying you'd better do this. Otherwise, that's it. You're out. So I have to take personal responsibility. That's why I like the hands. That's why I like I'm only one. You can't take the responsibility for me. I have to take the responsibility to offer my life back to God. It means I have to be, have a commitment, not because I ought to, but because I want to, to personal growth with my Bible and my prayer. Commit, a commitment to the fellowship. Um, in the book of Acts, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, to the teaching, to the breaking of bread, to the word and to prayer. A commitment to obedience. It's all, obedience is this like nasty word sound around. I've got to do what everyone tells me, but I do it out of love, but for God. Commitment to ministry recognising there's many different gifts in the church. But we choose. It's got to be God first, Christ in charge. And I used to love going to the youth conferences because the youth were all trendy and I used to think I was like them and I wasn't. But I used to love it, actually, when they wore the bracelets, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And I try and, 
and don't get it right all the time, to really apply that. That is what we could say in a very simple terms, applied theology. It's you've got the truth, you've got the knowledge, now the situation comes up, the waves are about to break all over you, it'd be easy to run away or stand on the beach, not confront it, what would Jesus do? And so any, my response, and I, as I say, I'm not perfect, has to be, what would Jesus do in this situation? How should I respond if I'm the Christian that I'm called to be? What would Jesus do? It means for me, live it out, right? And then the second point, the danger of being a chameleon. You know what a chameleon does? Whatever environment it sees itself in, it changes colour, so it fits in. But Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. It would be very easy for me to walk out of here, go down the pub, get drunk, because everyone else is getting drunk, or have affairs because everyone else is having affairs. You can do what you want. There's no real truth, there's no real blame. Do Everything goes. But Paul says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. What is the world? Some of it's good. There's a lot of good stuff goes on in the world, but some of it's not quite so good. The values, the ideas, the practices, relationships, what you should and shouldn't be wearing, how you shouldn't, shouldn't look. You know, from TV and magazines, radio, social media. You must be perfect. You must look beautiful. It's all about you. Do whatever makes you happy. There's no real truth. There's no real judge. You know, I was reading this thing recently. There's an online agency. Um, I mean, it was pretty, I want to say it's pretty good. I didn't use it. They were good to the people who wanted to use it up until all the, all the names got leaked out and then it caused a problem. But it was actually an online agency that was on billboards in this country um, and on motorways and everything else, an online agency. It was a dating app for married people that wanted to have affairs. And the advertisement was, the grass is always greener. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but hundreds of thousands of people went along with that. I'm just using one example. And so I love it when I hear Andy come up and say, at an early age, he can grab some kids uh, being in an environment, I love what schools ministry Billericke does, I love what you do as parents, and gets them young and starts saying, actually, you don't have to believe all those messages, which have led to what? Uh, a biggest increase in depression and self-harm this nation's ever known. But rather listen to the one who is the truth, that you can put God first, you can set apart yourself, Christ as Lord. Fifty youngsters putting their hands up, responding. You know, Charlotte doing children's work, Gary youth work, and Ruth with SMB, I mean, it's fantastic. But it's for all of us as well, isn't it? It's to say, look, there's the world's messages. You can believe them if you want, but this is the truth. And we've got to put God first. And when we don't, we, set, we don't set ourselves apart for God. In other words, we're consecrating ourselves and we'll take on those messages. But Paul urges us not to conform to that pattern of this world. And it's why? Because sometimes worldliness can rip your spiritual life apart. It can destroy the truth. And it's living by the truth. Even when it seems um, a little bit off or you think, how could that happen? I mean, I wonder if you'd been around and I'd been around when Noah built the ark. We, we probably would have been calling him crazy. You know, they've had sunshine for a while. They've gone on in their worldly ways. They're totally unprepared for the flood. They thought they were secure and they weren't. The opposite is conforming, uh, the opposite, sorry, of conforming to the world is to conform to Christ, becoming more like him. If we've got consecration to him, it's sanctification is becoming more like him. We do that on a daily basis, living it out, what would Jesus do? Taking a spiritual health check. Dale Moody had written in the front of his Bible, this book will keep me from sin, or sin will keep me from this book. Psalm 119, 165, great peace have they who love your law, nothing can make them stumble. And there are so many Christians who are saved, 
They are saved, but they're on the beach and they're stumbling. Maybe they think the preaching's not so good or maybe they're not getting discipled. Uh, but really, it, it's down to us a lot of the time to make ourselves available to God. Maybe get the heads a little bit out of the magazines and the TV uh, and social media and spending time with God and hearing the voice of God in the world we're living. Living and breathing this book and through it in our time spent in the presence of God, we start to conform to Christ rather than to the world. And then, finally, Paul says you'll be transformed. You'll be transformed by the renewing of your mind. As we spend time in God's presence, time in the word of God, listening to what he says to us, we'll be transformed. It's not there to inform, only it's to transform. It's not about knowing it to fire spiritual bullets off, it's to become more Christ-like. And then you'll be contagious, you'll be attractive. We won't need many evangelism courses, people will just be attracted to the character. But it is a challenge for all of us, and the question this morning, and as you come to communion, will you consecrate yourself to God? It's the only reasonable response to his mercy. Will you offer yourselves completely to him? It's a choice. You can choose today to take off on this great journey or, or, or start afresh. Not just have like a, a, an aeroplane on the runway, the engines are idling, and you're sitting there, so it'd be really good if we took off, but let's just sit on the, on the runway. The engines are on, I don't feel like taking off. We go past the point of no return, take off and become a contagious Christian. Will you say, I'm not taking on the messages the world gives me, but I instead choose to be transformed by Christ by putting him first and by reading the word, not just putting him in the car for an hour and a half Sunday morning and get him, tell him to get out afterwards. Because I do really believe, and I really believe, that when Christians really live up to their full potential, the world changes. We've seen that again and again. I'm big, I've told you it to nearly every week. I'm a big believer in the church. I believe that the local church is the hope of the nation. I see when churches get together, it's an amazing impact. But only if it lives out what it professes and do uh, what we need to do, which is totally living for God in everything. So we absolutely need to consecrate ourselves, devoting ourselves and setting ourselves apart for the worship and service of God. And I want to finish by challenging you this morning to make that commitment. Uh, maybe for the first time, but certainly for a lot of us, an ongoing commitment. Maybe you've never committed yourself to God at all, and you just need to start there and say, okay, I'm not sure about this. You know we want our Alpha courses and everything else. You come on one or speak to me, and I'll talk to you. I mentioned abseiling at the beginning. The scariest part wasn't actually climbing up. I used to like that bit. Um, it, was, uh, it was coming down, leaning over the edge, because you had to go 90 degrees before they'd start letting the rope down. So you had to really, you know, I was on the edge like this, 150 foot. Do I really trust this rope? And you start to lean, is that enough? No, is that enough? I can't do it, but effectively I'd be 90 degrees perpendicular out before the rope goes down. Then I knew I could trust the rope. And it's really saying that as Christians we need to lean over the edge and we need to have more faith, totally reliant on God, totally reliant on the person who's holding you. Jesus makes the rope. But for those that have made that commitment today, make it complete, absolute. Will you set apart Christ as Lord? Or don't stand on that metaphorical beach looking at all the others, looking at all the other testimonies because we're not stepping out of faith, looking at the waves and saying they're too great and I can't cope with them, I can't face them head on. Maybe this morning we can say, no, I'm going to take this, I'm going to consecrate myself to you, God. I know you're going to lead me and really what I'm saying to you is I'm going to pour out my life back to you. 
Will you say, I choose to consecrate myself to you, God, to be devoted to you? Maybe that's baptism for you or renewal of your faith. It's not about ability, but availability. Making yourself available and open that the Holy Spirit will fill your life completely. And then, and as we're seeing actually, the church will flourish and become what God intended it to be. I'm going to pray and once again, I thank Ian, our one-armed other minister who's going to help me in that. But as we come to communion, um, consecrate yourself. Consecrate yourself before God. Father, we thank you for your word. And we recognise its challenges, but we thank you that you're a positive God. And that, Lord, you gave yourself for all of us. And, And we simply say this morning, we want to follow you and give our lives back to you. We want to consecrate ourselves to you. I want to set apart Christ as Lord. Help us to live that life, Lord, with the presence and power and infilling of your Holy Spirit. As we take communion, Lord, I pray that we'll be excited about what it means to be a child of yours and that you set us free to serve you in freedom, in your word and your spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks.